I, 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 I have, I think the last time I was here was like three weeks ago or something. It was, bef- it was like before Tony. I mean, when I say here, I don't mean preaching, but I mean on our topic. We had the Good Friday, we had Easter Sunday, we had Tony Slay here the week before that, right? So we go back to the week before that, and I had to trunk it because we, we had a pretty good testimony time about Pecansicum, right? So, so I had to kind of truncate things a little bit. So I'm kind of going back and touching base on that this morning. And, uh, you know, I want to finish that up. So um, just bear with me uh, today. Um, you know, before we get started, I want to just take a minute to... Uh, Introduced to you, a uh, new couple you've probably seen in the house. Some of you met him last night. But I want to introduce to you guys uh, Rob and Elizabeth Crisp. And uh, these guys have come here because Rob's taken on the uh, job of the executive director of the Dream Center. I'm the Dream Center, listen to me. <laughs> that was his former job uh, of Grace Inn. And uh, so he's going to be the, the new director of Grace Inn. And we're very excited to, to have them here in town. Uh, would you guys just stand up and wave at everybody? And so if you get a chance, <laughs> praise the Lord. If you get a chance, welcome them and, uh, you know, speak an encouraging word over them. Bless them. Uh, it's kind of funny. They said, hi, we're, we're Rob and Elizabeth. We're homeless. Uh, you know. They've come from Alberta. They're looking for a place to rent. Right now, uh, Jim and Karen uh, have them staying in their basement. So uh, they have found somebody willing to take them in. I was a stranger, and you took me in. And so, uh, and I actually, I think they showed up at the house, and Jim and Karen, they weren't there, right? So you guys showed up at the house, and with a long two pages of instructions on everything, where it all was. Food in the fridge, and they'd never met you before, right? Never met you before. Isn't that incredible? And uh, so really putting that scripture right to the test. And Robin Elizabeth didn't burn the house down, so it's all good. And so uh, anyway, so glad that they're here with us this morning. And uh, uh, Jim, what was that you just said? Didn't change the locks. Didn't change the locks. Yeah, they could have exercised squatters' rights. And the next thing you know, you guys were the ones that were homeless. Yeah, that would have been just interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, I would have been caught in the middle of that one. I was like, okay, what do I do now? And we want to welcome you guys to to here this morning. So good to have you with us. Praise the Lord. Well, um, I'm going to do my best to get back to talking about God's grace. Everybody say God's grace. It is the most marvelous topic that I think you can come to in Scripture is the grace of God. God's grace is absolutely uh, the most marvelous truth of scripture. Uh, you know, the, uh, the unmerited, undeserved favor of God given to mankind. The enabling power given to us by God freely so that we can do all things. This is the grace of God. And when we encounter God's grace, we're never the same. And if you go back to living exactly as you did before you encountered God's grace, then you need to say, God, what did I miss? Because it changes. And we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning in Scripture. But it is the grace of God nonetheless. And it is that which is given to us freely. God made me good. And the cost to me to make that happen was nothing. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't any costs to you as a Christian. That doesn't mean we don't lay anything down. We do. But we didn't, none of the things that we give up and none of the things we lay down are what made us good. Right? Only God's grace makes me good. 
everybody understand that? And uh, so that's why I've called it good for nothing because the truth is nothing that I've done makes me good. I'm only able to do it because I've been made good, right? And when you get that, it starts to change everything in your life. You remember I talked about how living by grace is difficult if you're going to approach it only from the second narrative. And for you who haven't been here like Rob and Elizabeth, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. That's fine. Uh, and I'm not going to spend much time in this anyway. But when, you understand, when your understanding of grace is limited to seeing it as the force of God which sent the Son to reverse the curse of sin and provide a means of escape from death and damnation, it's difficult to live as God fully intended you to live. It's not that Christ's coming didn't do those things, but it did that and much, much more. And if that's all you see it doing, then when you get saved, you go, now I've got my ticket, now I'm able to go to heaven, it's all good, thank you, Lord, I got the rest of this, right? And, and that's what tends to happen when we see the sacrifice of Christ as only fixing our sin problem. It goes so much deeper than that. It goes so much deeper than that. And so I, I shared with you, uh, I titled this message, I Object, and I talked about God's powerful and vulnerable nature. And uh, I, I talked about the fact that God's uh, grace is not just the aspect of his nature that enables backslidden men to repent and once again be able to stand before him as sons. It's that power by which no matter what we do, everybody say, no matter what we do, we never cease to be a son in the first place. This is clearly what the Bible teaches us. Story like the prodigal son are teaching us that the son never ceased to be the son. The father never stopped looking for him. Now, the son ceased to enjoy the benefits of being a son for a long time. He wasn't receiving any of the benefits while he's off, you know, living riotously. He doesn't have community. He doesn't have uh, the affections of the father uh, upon him. He's not living under his protection, not living under his house. He, he threw away a lot of those things, but the one thing that he never lost was the father's love for him. And so when he came home, the father was looking for him and received him with open arms because the father never stopped loving the son, right? Never, ever, ever did he stop loving the son. And you have to let that truth sink in, that no matter what we do, no matter what we do, he never stops loving us. We never cease to be his son. There's nothing my kids could do that they would cease to be my daughter or my sons. They would always be mine. Always be mine. Do you understand what I'm saying this morning? And so we have to get a hold of that revelation that no matter what we do, we never cease to be his son. And this is so hard for some people to grasp, and it's hard for us to grasp because we're so used to everything that we receive, we receive it because we earned it. We live in a culture where everything we get it's ours because we worked for it, because we earned it. And in this world, this fallen world, that's how things work, right? And it, it, it's, we've done and, and created systems to help that work in a mutually beneficial way for everybody. And democracy is not perfect. It just happens to be better than all the other political systems that they've created, right? But it's not perfect. The only par perfect one would be a theocracy under God. But, you know, uh, too often people say they're doing it for God, right? And they're doing it for themselves, right? And so democracy gives equal opportunity, uh, but it does not uh, create a perfect environment. In fact, sometimes what the, the, the uh, most uh, popular opinion is is the wrong opinion. And so in a democracy, you can have people voting in uh, people who have the wrong ideas, but 
majority wins, right? So that can be problematic for sure. But it's the best. It happens to be, I think, the best of what's available for us at the time. Now, this truth that no matter what we do, we never cease to be his son, exposes, exposes the nature of God's love. It exposes both the power and the vulnerability of God's love, right? Of God's grace. Do you understand what I'm saying? It exposes both. It demonstrates the power of God's grace because it demonstrates that his grace is greater than my sin. That his grace is abounding to me no matter what I do. So it exposes how incredibly powerful that grace is to work beyond the dark things that I sometimes do or I sometimes get trapped in and that it's completely uh, able to rid me of my sin and to present me before the Father as cleansed. Everybody say cleansed. And God's grace and his redemption for me are able to do that. It's powerful. But it's also vulnerable. It's also vulnerable in that his grace, once applied, is not retracted from my life. And so uh, his unconditional love is there even when we're sinning. No, 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 no. No, when I'm sinning, God doesn't love me anymore. When your kid's throwing a temper tantrum, sinning greatly, beating up their brother or sister or whatever, Right? And you, even when you have to discipline them, do you still love them? Of course. So where do we get these crazy ideas from that when I sin, God doesn't love me anymore? Well, of course he still loves me. That's the nature of love. That's the nature of God's grace. It's very, very vulnerable. It's very vulnerable. We have to understand that the God who created the universe, the God who made everything that we see is at the same time the most powerful being and the most vulnerable being in the universe. Powerful because he is able to uh, speak things into existence, create entire worlds, and heal us of our sins, our sicknesses, and our diseases. But it's also vulnerable in that every time he chooses to love that way, he, he runs the risk of it being rejected, taken advantage of, thrown back in his face. And every parent in the room knows what I'm talking about. When you love your children that way, you run all those same risks. We run all those same risks. I think one of the reasons that Jesus came as a son in a family was so that we would be able to relate to the vulnerable nature of the love of God. Jesus came in a very vulnerable way, born into the hearts of a mom and dad who would love him, and would experience that same vulnerability as they ran to protect him from, you know, everybody from Caesar to Pharaoh, right? And, and, and the vulnerability of God expressed in Jesus Christ is absolutely outstanding. And uh, this vulnerability of God has caused many, many people to be concerned that grace might be taken advantage of. And so lots of people in the last few years have written books about cheap grace, you know, uh, about, you know, a, a grace that says you can be anything you want to be, you can do anything you want to be, and God still loves you. That's true. That's true. However, however, God may still love you, but that doesn't mean that he's happy with what you're doing. How many have ever had that experience? Where your kid, you love your kid, 
But I'm telling you, you're thinking, if that kid doesn't change in the next 10 minutes, right? And your grace starts to get a little thin. How many know what I'm talking about? You love them, but you're passionate for some transformation. And sometimes we even have to apply a little discipline to help along the transformation, right? And sometimes God, who loves us, needs to do the same thing. He applies a little discipline to help along the transformation, right? Because the Bible says those he loves, he chastises, right? He corrects us. Why? Because he loves us. Loves us too much to leave us running around doing the stupid things we're doing that are destroying our life. Hello? So the people that write all these books about cheap grace um, and feeling the need to defend God should relax. God doesn't need anybody to defend him. He's got pretty broad shoulders. But I understand where they're coming from, and, uh, and I understand their concerns. Uh, God's grace can be taken for granted, and God's grace can be cheapened by followers who accept his sacrifice, and then they live like the rest of the world lives, un- seemingly unaffected by God's grace. And that's not surprising. Remember the quote that I put up a, couple, a few weeks ago by Churchill? He said, you know, the truth is men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing ever happened. So the reality is there's lots of people who encounter God's grace and then they just get up and walk away like nothing ever happened. And you might say, well, what happens to them? That's for God to decide, but I know he loves them, right? But that's not what he wants for them. It's not what he wants for them. God doesn't want to leave any of us unaffected. He doesn't want to leave any of us wallowing in a subpar existence. He wants to change us. He wants to shape us. He wants to mold us. He wants to make us more like Jesus. It's important that we understand that God's grace, by very definition, is exploitable. It's open to exploitation. It's vulnerable. There will always be people who take advantage of his grace. Always. You know, Jude even said there will be, you know, some of you who make it, right, as one barely escaping the flames. Remember that in Scripture? What was he basically saying? He's saying there's some of you who are going to make it into glory just by the skin of your teeth. Do you know why? Because you've received the grace of God and the grace of God has redeemed you, but you've done absolutely nothing with it. And so, yes, God will still take you because you're still his child, but he's hugely disappointed in what you've done with it. But he still loves you. And how many, and, if, and again, as a parent, you understand that, right? There's so many times that you're disappointed in your children, the choices they're making, but you still love them, right? You still love them. You don't withhold your love for them. You might have to withhold certain things from them because they're just not in a good place right now. Sometimes you have to withhold finances from them, and you have to withhold support from them, and you have to withhold these different things because they're going to abuse it, and they're they're going to waste it, or they're going to do harm with it. But you don't stop loving them. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? So that is what affirms for us that God's grace is powerful, but in order for it to be grace, it has to also be vulnerable. And I believe uh, it's possible to live in his vulnerability to experience his grace and to do so free of the propensity to sin. But it's only in embracing the vulnerable nature of God's love that we can live victoriously. And that's what I want to help us understand as I wrap this up today. I want to talk about 
what it is when people take advantage of God's grace. And uh, that this is, we might think this is a new problem today because we got people claiming all kinds of things and claiming to be Christians and living in what the Bible would describe as gross sin and they're proud of it, right? And they're like, oh, so this is, this is out there today. And so this is a, just a, a new problem, a new phenomenon, this tendency to take advantage of God's grace. But you know, the truth is, it's not new at all. Everybody say, not new at all. It's been happening since God's grace was first released and the church began. The new believers to whom Paul wrote in the book of Romans were guilty of exercising uh, and pushing uh, a cheap grace that took advantage of God right from the beginning. And in Romans, Paul discusses God's nature of grace and he teaches about grace. And he does it in an interesting way. He does it by anticipating an objection that somebody will make to his message. And he formulates it in a question, and then he answers his own question and expounds on it. And he, and he does it about 10 or 12 times throughout the book of Romans, if you read it. It's kind of fascinating, and I'm not by any means going to try to go through them all, because we'd be here for a week. And you guys would be going, <clears throat> you know. Uh, so I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to endeavor to try, but I think the most famous one uh, is the one that we're going to look at today, and I think it exposes a lot of what we're talking about and we're encountering in our culture uh, today. And like I said, I can't deal with them all, but let's deal with this one. Found in Romans chapter 6 on verse 1. Listen to this. What shall we say then? This is Paul anticipating the, the objection to his message of grace. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? Should we continue to sin so that God can release more grace? Because the deeper our sin, the more we sin, the more he's got to forgive, the more grace he's got to release. So Paul, uh, knowing that the Jewish religious leaders are listening to him very carefully and anticipating where they're going to pick holes in his theology, he anticipates the objection and he jumps on it first. And that's where he comes up with this. What shall we say then? Question mark. Shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Shall we continue to sin? So the grace may abound. In other words, should we celebrate sin? Should we, in this culture we live in today, celebrate sin because it's an opportunity for God's grace to abound all the more? And it seems, if you look at it, that there's a lot of Christians and a lot of theologians that would be, say, yes, that's exactly what we should do if you look at our culture today. But if you look at the very next verse, verse 2, Paul answers his own question, right? And he says what? Certainly not, or by no means, no. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? So he says, if you've really gotten a hold of what Jesus did for you on the cross, if you've really had an encounter with his grace, if you've really experienced his love and his affection and his enabling power from, for you, then by no means would you continue in sin. He said, why would we live in sin when we've been set free from it? Why would we do that? See, Paul answers his own question. He says, no, how shall we who died to sin? See, Paul's trying to explain that when we accept the sacrifice of Christ for us, one of the things we do in accepting it is we identify with it. That we take up our own cross and we die to self. And we emulate the death of Christ in our own life. And we die to our selfish desires and we become like him in sacrificing our own life for the benefit of others. And so it, it's not about my selfish desires anymore. It's about Jesus and what he wants for me. Amen? 
So you can see that Paul was dealing with the human tendency to take advantage of God's grace even in the first century. This is like just years after the crucifixion. Isn't it amazing how quickly we jump on it, right? How quickly God's grace is being spread throughout the, uh, the, the known world at the time and how quickly the church begins to grab a hold of it and go, wait a minute. So you're saying, I'm set free by the work of Christ and not by what I do. So what you're saying is, I can do whatever I want and his grace will just be given to me in more and more greater measure. The reality is, that's true. It would be. I see some of you are looking at me right now. You're ready to, no, that's not true, pastor. Yes, it is true. That's the vulnerable nature of grace. It would be. It would be. If my sin, a son I should say, or my daughter, I, would, I can't even say my daughter because I know she would never do it. But, but if my, my daughter's perfect, but my boys have some small flaws in them. And, uh, you know, but if my son was to do something that was, was corrupt and to continue to do it, I'd still continue to love him. You see, so that's, that's the vulnerable nature of it. And so Paul's anticipating that, that the, the, the religious leaders of his time were going to pick a hole through his theology of grace because for them it was all by law. It was all by keeping the rules. And so he has to anticipate the objections and he has to say, no, this is the objection. I understand it, but, but no, we w that won't happen because we who truly get a hold of God's love would not want to do anything, anything to treat that love with contempt. Do you understand what Paul's saying here this morning? Paul is, is on this game. And, uh, you know, I've had some people say to me, you know, if I tell my children, if I give my kids this kind of unconditional love, then they're going to abuse it. They're going to abuse it. They're just going to run from the faith, and they're going to they're take off, and they're, they're just going to abuse it to no end. You know, the truth is just the opposite. When you love them unconditionally, they grow up to love unconditionally. When you love them with God's grace, they grow up to give grace. If you love them legalistically and conditionally, they will learn to grow up to love others legalistically and conditionally. You understand what I'm saying? But what if my child rebels? I don't know. Have you ever rebelled against God? Well, just for a little while. And did God still love you? Yes. Then what do you need to do with your children? Hello? We never turn it off. We never stop, do we? And God never stops loving us. But when you finally understand how much your parents have loved you through it all, gratitude rises up in your heart. And it displaces that desire to do your own thing. And all of a sudden you want to do that which is going to honor them, which is going to bless them, which is going to encourage them. It's called growing up. Everybody say growing up. And what the church simply needs, we don't need to fight with each other. We don't need to get in arguments about how God's grace is applied. What we all need to do is grow up. So much of the division in the body of Christ would be done with if we just all grew up. Because then we would no longer be taking advantage of God's grace or of one another. We would be functioning and operating in his grace toward one another. And we'd be giving the other person the room to grow. We'd be giving the other person room to make mistakes. We'd be giving the other person room to mature in their own journey to grow up. 
Are you hearing me this morning? That's completely for free. I don't even know why I put that in there this morning. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Paul rightly anticipates that there are those people who would hear the message and would recognize that they've been liberated from works, the law. And that salvation was the result of the work of another, Jesus. And therefore, that it's not based on my behavior, so I can go out and I can sin because Jesus did the work. He was right. He anticipated that correctly. And today, there's still people that think the same way. And granting justification to sinful humanity based on the completed work of Christ produces, hear this this morning, an extremely one-sided gospel. The gospel is extremely one-sided. It is rooted completely in the work of God and not in my behavior. And a gospel which can easily be taken advantage of is a gospel that is completely vulnerable. Indeed, it is the nature of the gospel to create a very one-sided equation. If if it wasn't one-sided, it would still be by works. Are you getting this this morning? The message of the gospel is very one-sided. It's all on him. It's all on him. Everybody say, it's all on him. If we miss this, we, we fall back into works. Even in the smallest measure, if you think it's about you, you're falling back into works. It's a one-sided equation. Just like parenting, it's so one-sided. Oh, my word. In the beginning, it's completely one-sided. When a child's first born, they just demand, 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 demand. And they don't do anything except eat, sleep, and poop. Right? Think about it. Think about it. That's the nature of parenting. And they make all these demands on your time, and you lose sleep, and you lose a social life, right? You lose everything for that child, and they don't give you anything back. In fact, what you mistake for affection It's just them finally being content because they pooped it all out, peed it all out, their stomach is full, and they're tired of crying and yelling. And you hold them in your arm and you say, oh, look, they're so content. They love me back so much. No, they don't. (laughs) They've just evacuated everything from their body, and they are finally exhausted from screaming, and it's all about them, and they're like, it's not about loving you back. Don't get any silly delusions that way. They, they can't even think that way yet. It is simply everything that they've needed has finally been done, and they can rest. And it's like that for a long time. It's like that for a long time. And then eventually, they're able to put their arms up to you, and they're able to snuggle in and hug because they want to give something back. And when that first starts to happen, you're like, oh, it was so worth it was so worth it. The months and months of screaming and poopy diapers and everything else. And I got that hug. So worth it. But you didn't throw in the towel on them before they got there. Right? You just kept pouring out the love. You just kept pouring it out. And that's what God does with us. When you guys came to Christ, you were just 
spiritually pooping and peeing and eating and <laughs> crying and whining and all of those things. And, uh, and God just kept loving you, right? And you were making messes everywhere you went, right? You were, you were just soiling yourself all the time, making all kinds of messes, and God kept cleaning you up. And some of you are saying, no, I was not like that. I was such a good, strong Christian right from day one. You know, that is probably the smelliest diaper out there. Because <laughs> the Bible says your righteousness is like smelly rags, like a poopy diaper. So there you go. That's some of the smelliest stuff that he's got to clean up. Because that self-righteousness just turns so many people off. And he's going around after you, cleaning this up, cleaning this up, cleaning this up, fixing this, fixing this. You turned off that person. i got to go over there and love that person now. And, you, you know, you, you, you told your, your own parents off. Well, now i got to go fix that. And then you, you told your friend you couldn't hang out with them anymore. i got to fix that. And God's going around fixing everything that you're, you know, doing because you're a Christian now. Right? And the reality is, that's parenting, right? Everybody, anybody have a different experience? Because that's what mine was like, right? And then eventually they get like, like Holly. You know, Derek and Paula moved to their new house yesterday. And Derek said last night, he's putting Holly to bed. And she's like, how do you like your new house? She goes, it's good, but I miss Nina and Papa. <laughs> See? You need to let them live with you for a while so that you have them your whole lives. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it's called the, the grandparent plan, right? And then she asked if we could move in with them <laughs> so that Nina and Papa would be there. Uh, Derek definitely said, I, I don't think that they, they would want to do that, sweetie. And I, I think we're, they're, they're okay with where they are, and we're going to be all right. We'll see them. Uh, so when you get that affection back, it's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing, and God loves it when he gets it back. But he doesn't love us any less if he's not getting it. Right? That's the nature of God's grace. And that's what Paul was dealing with here in this passage. And he's helping us understand how completely one-sided grace is. Whenever the powerful, that's God. Everybody say God. Whenever the powerful steps down and does the work for the weak, say that's us. Say that's me. And he does for the weak and the helpless. It requires vulnerability. And Paul is dealing here with the vulnerable nature of God. And it's, it's hard for us to move forward as Christians if we can't reconcile the vulnerable nature of God with our image of God in our head. We always talk about him being powerful. But understanding that God is also the most vulnerable is so important. He is vulnerable to the desires of the 6-7 billion people that live on this planet. His heart breaks for every one of them. He desires them to be with him and to be near him so much that he sent his son to purchase their life and to make a way for them to be with him. And he sees them wallowing in petty sin and destructive behavior and his heart breaks. And he says, oh, my child, I have so much more for you if you just take a hold of that. So much more. But he never stops loving. He never stops pouring out his affection. He never gives up on his children. And some of you are saying, are you preaching universalism? I'm preaching universal love. Not universal salvation, but universal love. Not everybody will accept it. Many will reject it. 
But I am preaching universal love. God loves everybody. God loves Muslims. God loves Buddhists. Hello? Does anybody hear me? God loves atheists. Even the ones who go out and swear at him and try to disprove his existence. He loves it. God loves sinners of every stripe and color, every angle and disposition. He loves them all. Every single one of them. And he sent his son to pay the price for them. And just like you buying Christmas gifts for your kids, if they'll open them, if they'll receive them, if they'll accept them, it's theirs. Right? Of course, you know, they could always say, I don't want what you have to give me. But if we'll accept it, it's theirs for us. Does that make sense to anybody this morning? That's the love of God. It is sinful human nature to take advantage of others. And that's what Paul was dealing with. The sinful human nature to say, I'll take God's grace. I'll take it. I'll take it. But I'll do my own thing. But the mature would not respond that way. The mature recognizes the great sacrifice made for them. And they say, I'm going to love that and appreciate that the rest of my life. As your children grow older, they realize that they, you made sacrifices for them. If, they were, if it was a healthy home, right? And then they go, that was awesome. And they are filled with appreciation for what's been done for them. And usually that, that happens you know, in their teenage years, late teenage years, they start to get a revelation of it. Then they get out into the workforce and they realize how hard they have to work for their $15 an hour. And then they realize how hard it is to pay rent on $15 an hour. And they're thankful that they're still living under your roof. And all those other revelations come. And then eventually, one day, they have their own kids and they realize how expensive it is to change poopy diapers. And then they realize, my parents made all these sacrifices for me. And you know, our Christian journey is much the same with God. As each day we have greater, we grow up and we have greater revelation of how much he sacrificed for us, then gratitude fills our heart and it changes the way we live. Amen? Let me conclude here this morning. God's love, God's grace is powerful. God's love, God's grace is vulnerable. I want to encourage you to spend some time in Romans and because we could go through and deal with every one of the objections that Paul anticipates. There's many. I started working on all of them and sorting them through, but this is probably the one most common one that we hear and that gets preached about in Scripture. But there's so many others that Paul anticipates that are in there, and, and there's a rich thread of theology that is in there that Paul deals with in the book of Romans. And, you know, all of it comes back to Paul understanding the nature of God's grace, understanding the nature uh, of what it was to give and to, uh, in a way, freely to a people who are so used to trying to earn it, right? And he understood that how vulnerable it was and how easily taken advantage of it was. And, uh, and he understood that when we pursue God and uh, not his grace, that we still get him in the mix as well. Here, I want to close with an incredible scripture that Paul used in, the, in, the, in 2 Timothy. And it, it, it again sums it up for us this morning. Look at the scripture this morning. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. But, let's look at this last passage. If we're faithless, 
Everybody say faithless. He will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now, I'm not sure what disowning him looks like. I actually kind of think that's probably pretty hard, right? I'm not sure what that looks like. But this, I do know what, I don't know what it's like to be faithless. Anybody know what it's like to be faithless? Anybody know what it's like to have done the wrong thing or to run out of hope or to run out of faith or to run out of trust or run out of belief? I know what faithless is. And the Bible says that he still remains faithful because he lives in me and he will not disown himself. He will not disown his children. Are you hearing me? That's a powerful passage of scripture. Many of us in this room have been faithless before. Many of us have stumbled over all kinds of old habits and lifestyle things and and offenses with other believers and other people in the body of Christ and all kinds of stuff. And, And in so doing, we've been pretty faithless, but God wants you to know that he remains faithful because he will not disown the Jesus in you. Are you hearing me this morning? He will not. He will not. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. Praise the Lord. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture because there's many times in my life that I found myself being pretty faithless, not being the person that I should have been. And I've clung to that Scripture because I felt like I deserved to be abandoned. How many have ever had that? I deserve to be rejected. And then I read that scripture and I realize, wow, he still loves me. He's still there for me. Such knowledge is too great for me. But I'm glad he is. And I was able to come back. And here's the thing. If you're at a place this morning where you need to come back, here's the beautiful thing. You don't have to come back clawing and begging. You just have to come back accepting his love. And, you know, we talk here a lot about when you do get that revelation and you come back, same wage, right? It's as if you were never gone. It's as if you never left the family. It's as if you never rejected or turned away. His love, his affection for us just takes us and puts us right back, right back in the midst of the family. Just like the prodigal son. What did he do? He threw the cloak over him, put the sandals on his feet, threw the ring on his finger, and he said, kill the fatted calf. My son is home. He didn't say, look, son, you know, you've been pretty bad. So, Okay, you're back, but you got to sleep in the stable tonight. You're in the stable for the next month, and uh, once you've been, you know, proven that you're going to be good, we'll let you out of the stable. Right? You notice that's not in the story? Not in the story? And the faithful son was so ticked off. He's like, you know, Dad, what are you doing? I've, I've been faithful. I've done this. I've done that. And, and you never killed a cat, fatted calf for me. And the father turns to him and he says, my son, everything I have is yours. Since you never squandered it, it's still there. It's still yours. But, but, our, but the one that was lost is now found. You know, he was, he was blind, now he sees. He's, he's, he's here with us again. Shouldn't we be happy about that? Amen? Amen? I don't want to be a prodigal, but I don't want to be the prodigal's brother either. Hello? I don't want to be either one. I want to be right smack dab in the middle of his love and sit there and say, God, 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lift your hands to him this morning. Father, we thank you this morning that you are both the most powerful being in the universe. There is none like unto our God. None. Every other God is, is man-made, is, is, is false, is made up. There's only one. You are it. There's no other God like you. But Father, we also recognize that not only are you all powerful, but you're so incredibly the most vulnerable being in the universe because you've made yourself vulnerable to me. You've made yourself vulnerable to my heart, to my affections, to my uh, faults, to my sins, to my uh, weaknesses, and you have poured out your affection on me nonetheless. And Father, this morning we stand in your presence and we say thank you, thank you, thank you for loving us. Despite everything that we've done, you've loved us and you've poured out your heart upon us. And we raise our hands today and we say thank you, thank you, Jesus, for never giving up on me. For giving me not just a second chance, but 500 chances and 1,000 chances. I, and, and Father, 10,000 chances that, Lord, you've never given up on me. And as I've grow, I, I grow up and as I mature, I'm able to recognize how, how many times you've actually had to give your grace to me. And I say, Lord, I don't want to sin. I don't want your grace to have to keep bounding and abounding to me over and over again. I want to see it transferred to other people. I want to give other people a chance to experience. I don't want, I don't want to take up all your time, Lord. I want to give you an uh, opportunity to work with other people. But, Lord, I still know I'm going to need you. And I thank you so much for your grace. It's all thanks to you, Jesus. We give you praise today. We give you glory today, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now listen. Listen, here's what I want you to do this week. Uh, I want you to take some time to do a personal inventory this week of all the places where God's grace has been demonstrated in your life. So there are going to be some big milestones and some small ones. And then I want you to look at all the people that upset you, and I want you to give them the same grace. Hello? Can you do that? That's your assignment this week. Personal inventory, then release the same thing to other people. Can we do that? Amen. God bless you. Have an amazing week in him. Praise the Lord.